0: Welcome to Mama Talk Talks a different take a podcast where everyday people around the globe share a different take on everyday issues. I'm your host AB Mambo and I'm pleased you're joining us today. Welcome. Hi Rachel. Hi AB. So good welcome. To see. Morning, afternoon. <laughs> Yeah, it's yeah, absolutely here in Singapore. Welcome to Mama Talk Talks a Different Take. I'm really, really pleased to have you here. For all our viewers and listeners, this is the first in our Love, Loss, and Healing series. And I wanted you to join us, and you'll tell everyone who you are in a little bit, but I wanted you to join us because in the first chapter of this four-part series, we're going to be talking about self-love. And there's so much going on in the world right now where I think self-love is so important. So before we dive right into it, Rachel, welcome. And please tell the viewers who you are. Thank you, AB. So I am a transformation and leadership
1: practitioner, and I work with individual leaders, but also with teams in the process of transforming themselves so that they can deepen their connections and therefore be able to do their best work but really ultimately I always say my work is about remembrance I believe that the most sacred journey that a person can walk is to be in remembrance of who they are what they came to the earth to do be in relationship with the values that they deeply hold Because when that happens, the quality of the living experience fundamentally transforms. Mm. So when I do my work, it's very intimate. It goes very, very deep, um, into sometimes spaces we're afraid to visit. (laughs) But I love every day of it and feel very honored
0: to be able to walk these journeys with the people I work with. You scared me a little there with the going deep. But I feel like the time that we're living in now, whether we like it or not, we're being forced to go, maybe not all the way deep, but a little deeper than we're used to. Mm-hmm. So as I sit with you right now, Rachel, my heart and my spirit are in a whole lot of different places. With everything that's going on in the US right now, we, whether it's you know, the George Floyd you know, killing or Amy Cooper, But quite frankly, the coronavirus, which we're hearing is now, while it's slowing down in other parts of the world, is really ramping up in Latin America. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot that the world is feeling right now. So as we start, I'm just trying to reconcile my individual feelings versus what's going on externally. So when people come to you and they're talking to you about what they're feeling as it relates to external, the external environment, what is a good starting point for that kind of conversation?
1: I believe that it is to be in acknowledgement that we all co-create the experiences that we are having and that there is a interrelationship between whatever it is we are Emoting and what other people are emoting that creates the collective experience. And it's only when we are able to make the shifts internally about where we are coming from, right? What, what biases and lens with which we are looking at a situation, how open we are, how open we are to shifting that then creates possible shifts in the world. And I think because we live in a world of what I like to call big structure, um, we forget the power of the individual in co-creating every single reality. Um, and one change, one shift within myself has the capacity to create a ripple effect of shifts outside of myself. Um, and so for I think we get overwhelmed when we look at the largeness of things when we look at big structure instead of remembering once again that that capability within to create shifts without and I believe if every person did that if they started with the internal connection the external connection would be less overwhelming um and yet In a world of big structure, we often feel like we don't have the luxury to do that, the time to do that, because we are being busied. Mm -hmm. But COVID-19 has actually forced us into realizing that there's so much around us that's a construct. And doing the right thing, this is such a sacred moment for coming back to the basics, which makes life so much less complicated,
0: isn't it? I, there, there are just so many things that I want to get into right away. Big structure versus the individual. What I've always found fascinating about that concept is big structure does not exist independent of individuals. Individuals run big structure. So why is it we, most of us feel so powerless in front of big structure, whereas we're, we're the brains and the hands and, and the everything behind big structure? Mm. because quite
1: simply we forget that very simple concept you know so i hear people (laughs) (laughs) so i hear people talk about for example the system and i often say but who is the system right and so this thing that we've created we can always uncreate but i believe because also part of the symptom or outcome of big structure is learned helplessness. We we disconnect, right? We disconnect from the pure potentiality that exists within us to uncreate things that we no longer desire, that no longer serve us. Because mm. it's not to say that the creation of big structure in itself is a bad thing. It's just you know, as you are creating things, sometimes you unintentionally create things that actually don't serve you. But it yes. takes courage to go back and say, okay, we've invested so much in this thing, but it's not working. It's working. Stop it. <laughs> it takes a lot of courage because our egos get entangled in mm. in the implications of. "Quote unquote failure," but I believe that we are in a moment in history where we are being invited uh, or being confronted by that question: Does this still serve us? Does "always done life" really serve us, or are they things that we can indeed shift that improve the quality? of my individual experience and the collective experience as well so we forget that that is the problem is we we have learned helplessness and so we forget that we are the structure and we have created the structure together
0: yes so i've noticed that you use words you choose words very carefully you said uncreate not destroy mm. And you talked about learned helplessness as opposed to victimization. Mm -hmm. So let's start with, let's start with on creating versus destroying. What is the difference? So for me, the the process of destruction
1: is for me, it comes for me from a space of a lack of gratitude. Mm -hmm. So, it, it lacks historical depth in understanding that even that which we now have poor relationship with, at some point came from some kind of a logic mm. that at the time felt like it was helpful. So, you know, I even say this when I work with clients who find themselves, let's say, in the claws of addiction, and they hate themselves. I keep going back to this behavior and I hate it. And I say, but why? You created it through some survival instinct. You know, so mm. can we be in gratitude that, the, that your brain works? Can we be in gratitude that your system was trying to help you survive? So if, if the drugs allowed you to forget the pain, that was your intelligence at the time. Yes. So thank mm. you. And then... We move on into a process of uncreating, of undoing, of unlearning and coming mm-hmm. to new relationship with things. But when we come to things with hate, which is what leads to destruction, mm-hmm. we must perpetuate a cycle, right? Mm-hmm. Because the energy with which you come to something to solve it is weirdly the same energy you create in the new in the new space of creation. So even some yeah. of the things that we and we'll probably talk a little bit later around this, even some of the things that we resent like a lot of the biases and isms that exist in the world. There is even something in that to thank. There is even something in that to to acknowledge, even if it is that it reminds us that we've lost our humanity. So we come to yeah. it with an energy. Yes. Because once we, once we spiral into hatred, we're only going to create hateful outcomes. So for me, that is the, the fundamental difference. And the one, the one remembers one's power, the ability to uncreate works yeah. from the start of, because we come from the creator, Therefore we are creative. We have an energy to shift and to change. I think the destroying comes from a space of helplessness, comes from a space of anger, comes from a space of, you know, I am so overwhelmed by this that I'm just going to go into my survival brain and destroy it.
0: Mm. Yeah. yeah. So that remembrance
1: of the power that we have as creators is for me what makes the fundamental difference.
0: Yeah. When you said it, 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 it's really interesting how it lands. I've never heard anyone talk about uncreating, but it's interesting how it, land, how it landed on me because when I hear destroy, it naturally has a negative connotation. Even if we're talking about destroying something which we think is inherently bad. When we talk about uncreating, because it starts with un and ends with create, the mind alights, right? It's like, wait a minute. Okay, there's create at the end of that, which sounds like instead of destroying, you're creating a new reality. Mm. And that's how, that's how that landed with me. As opposed to just destroying, you're going from one thing and creating another in the process of removing the, the first. So just, just really interesting. yeah. And then exactly. learned helplessness. Let's talk about that because one of the things I hear a lot is around victimization and people throw this around a lot. Don't be a victim or you're acting like a victim. I hear, I hear. you know, a lot of the stuff that's going on in the world right now in an attempt perhaps to try to help people say, say things like that. Or we talk about victimization or we talk about being a victim. What is the difference between, victimization and being a victim versus learned helplessness
1: yes yes so so victimization for me implies an object whereas learned helplessness implies a subject so what I mentally believe and this has been so powerful for me in terms of making my shifts in the world in relationship to the other is recognizing that victimhood assumes that I got plonked into a situation and I find myself going, well, here I am. (laughs) Whereas learned helplessness for me says there was a process. Mm -hmm. There was a process that brought me here. And it allows me then to interrogate what that energy exchange is, what that interrelationship is. So for example, I went through, and I've written about this um, on my social media platforms, I went through a very interesting transformation in my relationship with white males. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, let me say people you know of Caucasian descent as a general rule, because I grew up in a society, I grew up in Zimbabwe, which very similar to South Africa had an a, an apartheid type setup. Yep, um, and I always say that you know I grew up with a lot of Uncle Ruckus type messages, right? Thank God for the white man. Thank God for, <laughs> thank God for for what he did for us. Because where would we be? I grew up with a lot of that personally in my you know, and I heard it in my family. It was sort of implied in some of the environments that I was in, and so the process was that. I very quickly at a young age started to understand that I must submit power to people Mm. like this. Even if they weren't asking for it, I just believed it. And so over time, as I grew in my relationships with them, I was always handing over and then experiencing what I was calling quote unquote racism or bias. And I remember one night in 2011, after a meditation I'd had, I woke up from a dream and had the sharp realization that, wait a minute, I am a participant in this dynamic. I am yes. not a victim of it. I'm a participant. If somebody enters into a room with a sense of superiority and I enter the same space with a sense of inferiority, who is the biggest creator here? Yeah of us it's both of us nobody has more power than the other person we are both co-creating this situation and so i started to experiment with what what would happen if i walked into this with a different kind of energy because i can't change what is in that person's heart i don't have that kind that kind of access but i have the access into myself and into creating shifts within myself and so literally the next day I said, I'm done with this. I'm done with the assumptions I walk into a room with. I'm done with the trembling. Because literally I used to tremble <laughs> in the presence of my, of my senior white colleagues specifically. And I realized I had such an embedded fear that was so unconscious, subconscious. And, and interesting <laughs> for years, it's now reached a point where sometimes I'm in a room addressing only a room of white men, and it, it astonishes me that that came from a decision nine years ago to change mm-hmm. myself.
0: And mm-hmm. I later
1: came to the wisdom of Rumi that says, "When I was clever, I tried to change the world, and then I became wise, and I changed myself." Yeah. And I believe that this is this is the greatest power we have is when we shift. I think the law of energy dynamics is such that the environment has to respond somewhat. Um, mm-hmm. There's a big conversation here, is, even as we're having these conversations about what has happened in America recently, about absolutely acknowledging the injustices that are taking place. Absolutely. But in, in the process, not losing our remembrance of our power to uncreate versus destroy and to be in creative relationship with what we are experiencing in this moment. Mm-hmm. And I am enjoying the remembrance of self power. I'm enjoying that because that is a powerful energy. And imagine yeah. if many of us were doing that, that's what creates real transformation in the world.
0: Yeah. You know, that, that, is, that is so profound. It reminds me of a conversation I had on this show, with the previous guest, Adele Hong. She's a, she's a linguistic specialist and speech therapist. She had come on the show and we we're talking about body language. And what she was saying is when you enter a room, watch what your shoulders are doing. Because when you sit, across, it's to your point around, you know, giving away your power. If somebody comes in and sits a bit, you know, chest open, broad shouldered alpha, and you lean in, you are part of creating that superior, inferior dynamic. What if you came in and sat in the same way? One of two things will happen. You will both stay in that position or they'll change. But it was just this idea that we were not even really conscious of how we carry ourselves, right? So you find yourself in, the, yourself in this dynamic, and you're wondering why do I feel so small? Mm-hmm. And it's just that lack of aware, awareness of self, right? That's mm-hmm. that's playing out. So you just talking about that reminded me of Adele's comment. So it's I love how these threads co- co- come along across the different episodes. Yes. But this I think is a, an excellent segue into self love which is where we were starting first of all i have an idea of what i think self love is what what is self love to you so for me before i move into self love mm. i feel
1: i feel that the journey to self love first starts with self acceptance
0: mm.
1: because part of our education which is what then creates the lack of self-love, is that we are continually in resistance of ourselves. Um, Because every, a lot of the messaging, a lot of the imagery we are seeing just does not look like us. You know, largely because it is fake, right? Largely because a lot of the stuff we see in the media (laughs) is airbrushed and, and, and polished whether it's a physical image, whether it is messaging, whether it is the way in which we are, we are, we see power on, on, from a distance, all of it is, is airbrushed. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) We have, you know, it's like, you know, it's like when you meet, you know, it's like when you have this sort of incredible idea of who a leader is, and then you meet them in person, you're like, wait, but, but they cough like me and they sneeze like me and they, and they, and they also seem to not be as perfect as I imagine them to be, right? Because it's, everything from a distance is airbrushed. And so what happens is that we, we, have, we have a non-acceptance of ourselves because we keep trying to live up to these images. And for me, so for me the first journey of self-love is coming into self-acceptance, is mm-hmm. coming to unpolished relationships with who I am, just as I am, light and shadow, what I love and what I hate, what feels acceptable to others and not acceptable to others. When I accept that this is the way I speak, that this is the tone of my voice, when I accept that this is the way I look, that these curves are not going anywhere. I grew up wanting so desperately to be slender. grew up in the age of Naomi Campbell, who is wonderful, but you know, I'm not Naomi Campbell. I'm not tall. I'm not slender, but there was a sense of there's something missing until I become that way. And so when we lose that, until I I get to this, until I become like this, until I can gain this, then we come into full relationship with this is me. This is raw and this is who I am. And then that leads us to the
0: much deeper relationship of self-love which for me is the Before before you go through that, Rachel, before you go to self-love, let me ask, because you raised an interesting point about self-acceptance, but you cannot accept the self that you do not know, right? So is the first step self-awareness or does self-awareness come later? Like where in the process does self-awareness fit?
1: Self-awareness for me comes later. Mm. What you've said is profound. I love that because perhaps the steps are self, self um, acceptance, then self awareness, then self love, right? Because it is only when we accept that we can become
0: aware. You can't become aware in resistance. You because I didn't write that somewhere. Aware. You cannot become aware in resistance. That that is powerful. Wow. You can't. It's not possible because, because, and that's how people
1: then get attacked by their shadows, because awareness and resistance is about only the light, right, is about only, is about only looking at that which I can look at, which my eyes allow me to look at, instead of a real deep exploration of who is this person, who, who really am I, and who am I being in the world, and why am I being that way, mm-hmm. so you know for example one of the things i had to self-accept was coming into relationship with the fact that because i have a i have a rejection wound because of my own you know dynamics uh, in terms of my personal identity and not knowing my father i i carry with me a wound of self-rejection and it has its shadow it has its implications in the world you know part of which was always seeking to be accepted and loved and by the way one of the powerful things <laughs> that that i came into relationship was that a lot of my seeing in my relationship with the white folks that i was in relationship with was driven also by this rejection mood yeah yeah um, there was always a part of me that was always seeing other people reject me of all colors by the way um, and so and of all you know ba- backgrounds it was there was always a question in the room will i belong Will I be accepted? And so self-acceptance mm. is, oh, look, I have curves and that's never going to change. Oh, look, I speak in this way and that's never going to change. It's also, oh, look, I have a tendency to want to manipulate myself into a room, to manipulate myself into, into being loved and accepted. Oh, look, I also do that. Yeah. So what is that about? Then um, I am now going into that amazing And sometimes often painful space of self-awareness. And I always, and I always love to, you know, in our work we use, we use the 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 metaphor of of, um, the butterfly as it metamorphosizes. Mm
0: -hmm. And
1: that very, there's that very painful stage when it's in the cocoon. And the cells and the imaginal cells are fighting it out, the old and the new. Um, and whether you want to call that the dark, the, the the dark night of the soul, or you want to call that, you know, a part of the, the hero's journey, whatever it is, there is that that space has to happen. And that's the space of awakening when you go, okay, now I see fully what is happening here and who I am being in the world. And when I have that self-awareness, we talk about being an integrated leader. The integrative space is about accepting both the light and the shadow then I believe we move into that
0: self-love. I'm dark and I'm light. (laughs) (laughs) You know, this is beautiful. I had shared at a talk before that when you talk about your wound, I was sharing this story about, I I love personality tests, right? I think they're hilarious and they're interesting and they can actually reveal things about you and you you know. But what I was sharing with with the group was that um, there's something interesting about the thing that we reject outright. And I was saying to them, when you hear something, if you reject it outright, interrogate why, investigate it. There's something that it's saying to you. And I was giving them the example of uh, the personality test, right? And saying there was a particular day where I took the Myers-Briggs test the first time and all the things that he said were wonderful about me. I loved. And then we got to some of the stuff that was not so great. And I said, that, no, no, that, that, that's not me. And I took it a second time and a third time. And then I said, okay, this is craziness. What is it about this that you're not accepting, right? And so... It was there that I began to understand about triggers. If something doesn't sit right with you right off like that, and you can't even process it, you need to interrogate it because there's something in there and it's usually in the shadow. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's, and that's exactly correct is, um,
1: we, we have parts of ourselves that are easier to love than others, but you Know we're talking about self love. If we want to move into loving others, one of the initiations into that is loving our dark, the darkest parts of ourselves. Because when we are in relationship with others, we are often con- confronting dark parts. We are often confronting when the honeymoon phase is over. Wait, oh my goodness, this person is so messy. <laughs> and they think of that about us. Oh, she's messy, <laughs> exactly. We are messy too. And so when we don't have a relationship with that, then our messinesses start to interact and it creates a lot of chaos. Okay. Because now everybody is in their shadow. <laughs> um, and yet, I mean, some, of us, some of us may have experienced this, for example, if you're in a relationship and you experience infidelity, right? And then all of a sudden, the, the honeymoon is broken and you see, wait a minute, I now see a, a person here that I hadn't seen before and the challenge with that is when we come into that with judgment versus understanding that everybody's on a journey with their shadow, then what happens mm. is our shadow wakes up and now two shadows are in, in, in conversation and we destroy each other, right? Yeah. I mean, it's a process of self and other destruction um, because we haven't come into acceptance that actually people mess up. That's what happens because we all have shadows.
0: Some Ater than others. Say it again. People mess up. I think we just need to say it a few times. People mess up. People mess up. People mess up. People mess up.
1: People mess up. Mm. It's interesting. You know, I'm, I'm very much in deep relationship with Hannah Aaron's famous um, article that she wrote where she talked about forgiveness. And she said that one of the most powerful gestures, is the ability to forgive because often when people do what they do they are in the in the worst part of themselves and so how do they recover when there's no forgiveness and and we live often in a punitive society and I believe social media has driven a lot of this right this is oh, sort of, no everybody's angry and it's like you can say one small thing and you're out you're out and and it's it's like but but then how do we co-learn how do we how do I recover from a mistake if I can never be forgiven and this has been one of my hardest learnings because of course so many people have been a part of my wounding and I felt very justified to be angry with them very angry (laughs) child you know the people who invaded my innocence as a child, the people who rejected me as a child, you feel justified because, because, by the way, also I was a child. So it's like, oh, I, I am justified, you know? And while that may be so, while that may be so, that things, certain things shouldn't happen, they do. And yes. that's the being human, is that they do. And so I feel like we, we have a very wonky relationship when all we want to do is see the wounding, but not see the gift in the wounding.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: Because the wounding is going to happen. It's, it's just a part of being in the world. If we all acknowledge that everybody has a light and a shadow, then of course we're going to wound each other. It is yeah. almost childish to expect that to not happen. But the world changes when we wake up to our power to be in relationship with this thing with courage and really walk a journey with it. What is happening here? Why are we killing each other? What is that about? You know, so for example, I'll say something that, that I, and I'm asking you to deeply hear me because again, people run off, um, and I'm speaking here to the audience, who run off to a conclusion about the limitation of the thinking. And I just want you to hear, whether it's my limited thinking or not is when i have watched the countless killings by by police in the united states of black men and women my blackness right if i'm limited with my lens of blackness i get very angry about why are my fellow my fellow brothers and sisters being treated like this and i've got brothers and sisters who are black, like me who live in the United States. So I also lived with that perpetual worry. But then I'm also reminded that I've also seen videos of policemen do this to white people too, and mm-hmm. to Hispanic people too, and to Native Americans too, and to all sorts of people too. And so when I go into it with courage and less reaction, but more response, my question is what is the wound of America? What is it about the police force that gives them such a sense of perm- a permission to be aggressive, a mm. permission to violate the other, a permission to, to destroy, as we were talking about? Mm. What is that shadow? What is that wound? That for me is the conversation I would that will that will take us out of this space.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And if 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 as leaders we don't come into courageous conversation of the real deep matter of the issue versus just the symptoms of the issue, mm-hmm. then we. Come so i believe for me i'm not an american but i believe for for americans this is a conversation about what is in your constitution this is a conversation about what is in your foundation this is a conversation about what Mm -hmm. is in your lineage that you need to heal right Mm -hmm. Um, and similarly when i came into my own healing i started to ask my fundamental healing ab wasn't about how do i heal myself my fundamental healing was also about what caused these people to hurt me. What was in their lineage? What was in their history that created this? And how do we heal that? And this is what led me to this work. What led me to this work was beyond myself and beyond my pain. How do we actually just stop this from happening entirely? Mm -hmm. Right. That forced me to come out of myself and to start to look at a much bigger and much more profound question about, what is the deeper wound here? And yeah. so, in, you know, I realized, for example, that one of our deepest wounds is that we have cultures that create taboos around certain subject matter. Yes. And, and Dati Roy said so powerfully, how do you understand something when there's no language around it? Yes. How do you understand Quite something more than no language? Mm,
0: mm.
1: Right? But I if love you live that in a book culture book. where we can't talk about things, you know, how do we, how do we solve things? And so that's why for me, courageous conversations is a big part of the work that I do is how can we solve this if we can't speak across ages? How can we solve this if we live in a culture? I come from a culture that says you cannot interrogate an older person. But my question is, the person hurt me? Then how do I, how do I heal past that if I can't have that conversation? You know, so it's complex. It's to, all of this is to say it is not simple it is complex and yet it is available to us to work through to work through the stuff and you'll be amazed if the human brain learns right once we allow ourselves into a conversation i'm a neuroscience coach so the the process of the brain is a fascination to me but the brain can learn very fast It, it neural pathways very quickly And the question is what are you choosing to create neural pathways about? If you're choosing hatred, the brain will learn that very quickly. If you're choosing to be in love and complex relationship and understanding that even if your shadow, even if your shadow triggers me in the worst possible way, I see myself in you. Because everything that we hate, we are capable of doing. Yes. And unique about it. Everything that we hate, we are capable of doing. And in fact, there are parts in our lives where we are doing it too. Mm. So so we are co-creating a system. So if we reduce it to this person just killed this person and I hate it, then it's a reduction. If we ask ourselves, where do I do this too in my life? Where do I also kill people in my life? Where do I create this kind of energy? And yes. if I can plant that, then we start to change society because
0: we are a mirror of each other. You, you know, imagine. that, that, that's, that's a lot to take in. I, in just all the, the avalanche of text and stuff coming in from all your friends and my friends and the ones that I'm sending out, I remembered something late last night. I was up at about two and it came to me because there's a lot of talk around anger and the role of anger in all of this and frustration and people are tired of being sick and tired. And that is true. Yes. But then there's something that I, I've always said, and it came back to me yesterday, which is in my experience, and from what I've observed, the most destructive form of anger is righteous anger. Mm-hmm. When you have something to really be angry about, you can burn this world to the ground because there is nothing that stops you. Right. I mean, there's no one who's going to say to you, you have no right to be angry about that. Examine it. There are almost no barriers to that kind of rage and rage has to go somewhere. Right. Yes. Where it goes is up to you. But that that just struck me as we were asking the question about why are they burning all this down? Why are they burning all that down? And I said to me, I understand the pain. But underneath yes. that is the righteousness of that pain. That's the thing. And that's the anger I always say we need to sue and better yet try to avoid. Because righteous anger, and I think of Joan of Arc, right? That was righteous anger. There is nothing that blocks it. There's just, you know, I, I was talking to family in the U.S. this morning and they were telling me about their curfews and people are still out there and there's all this stuff. And I said, this is the thing. Righteous anger is hard to tame. It is hard to tame. So I don't know where we go with that, what we do with it, but that that reflection just came to me at two this morning and I thought, my goodness, this is what's happening.
1: Yeah. You know, there's a simple principle called ABC. Awareness, take a breath, make a different choice. And for me, I would say fundamentally, this this is what change is about awareness. Who are we being in this moment? So as we are doing what we are doing, who are we being when we're being righteously angry? And you're right. There is, there is, there is a reason to be angry. Let's not get that wrong. If you killed my brother, if you had your, your knee on him for nine minutes while the life ebbed out of him and he was telling you that you're killing me and I can't breathe, Damn straight, I will be angry. Absolutely right, I'm going to be angry. Because anger, by the way, is a reminder of what has been transgressed. What values has been transgressed. What are you and choking inside of me? That's what makes me angry. So I must be aware that I am now in anger. Mm. But then as is with being human, which is what that policeman should have done, when he was in awareness is to take a breath, pause and say, what am I doing here? And this is true for the policeman, and this is true for those of us who are reacting in light of what the policeman did, is to then take a breath and say, first of all, just ask the question, what am I doing here? What does this represent, right? And we have, and that's why we are called human. We have a capacity to do that. We have a capacity for pause. But also taking a breath means be in relationship with breath. You talked about, mm. about the energy with which we come into a room. And a lot of that has to do with the way that we breathe. And, you know, part of the problem, I, I, do a, a, I work with a lot of breath practitioners. And one of the simple things I've learned is that we've forgotten how to breathe like babies. We tuck ourselves in we puff our shoulders we do the ego thing and that's what allows us to put our knee on somebody and, and keep it there for nine minutes because we are puffed up right we are in the breath of the warrior and we are saying do you know who i am i will show you who i am we've forgotten mm. to babies take a breath breathe deep get out of your amygdala get out of that hijack be in the you we always talk about the neocortex by the way as the space of problem-solving and reasoning, it is also the space of compassion. It's the space where compassion is born. So when you're aware that you are reenacting your ancestors' poor behaviors, you take a breath and then you make a different choice. Because all of us are reenacting our ancestors' and ancestors' good and bad behaviors, right? Because we all learned the good and the bad. And so an awareness of where am I repeating things that actually keep me where I am. And then take a breath and then make a different choice. And this is the power that is available to all of us. This is the power that is available to every police person before they kill a person unnecessarily. But this is also the power available to us as we are now responding. Because at the end of it, we'll all kill each other. At the end of it, everybody is angry with somebody about something. Something. (laughs) We feel justified to be in that. Right. And so we can either break the cycle. And for me, this is not, you know, sometimes people say, oh, we're tired of being the ones to forgive and we're tired of being the ones to be on the right side of the street with things. But I, I keep saying, but this is the cycle of being human is at any given point, someone is teaching and somebody's learning, learning. We abdicate from our responsibility, both to learn and to teach. Then we have a problem because then it's chaos. So this is a teaching and a learning moment. Some of us are learning, some of us are teaching. Some of, it's, it's a dynamic and it will continue. It's the circle of life. We learn and we teach and we learn and we teach. If we reject that, then we become barbarians. That's all. That's all. But it's hard. Is, it, is that easy? No. Yeah. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's easier to just be upset. So much easier. And justifiably so, as I keep saying. Um, but, but we have a higher choice available to us that can actually transform our societies um, more than when we're just in reactivity.
0: Yeah, yeah. <sighs> yeah. <laughs> we had to get all that out we had to get all that out before we get to self-love. <laughs> So we've become aware and then we've just taken a breath. And so we make the choice now to go into self-love. Yes. Yes. You were saying about self-love before I interrupted you and took you down the path of um, awareness. You were talking to us about what self-love is.
1: So once we've done that acceptance, once we've come into awareness, deepened self-awareness, Then we can be in in a love relationship with ourselves, and for me, you know, if you think about you know love, the French amour, you know, um, it is there is a there is a for me love coexists with the idea of courage because courage comes from the core, which means heart, right? And so for me, self love is about the courage to be in full relationship with oneself. Mm. It is about the courage of honoring who the me is. Because that self actualization is in fact the conduit into then being in love with others, right? And so when I'm in self love, to your point, I own my personality. I own my values. I can name them. I can, I I own the the kinds of decisions that I'm making that take me out of a reactive relationship with society into a creative relationship with the the world. Self-love for me is ultimately about respecting the sacredness of the meanest, right? Mm. Mm-hmm. Respecting the sacredness of the boundaries that allow me to be a me, because sometimes we think that love, or even that that being in love with others is just about opening our boundaries up and allowing anything and everything to filter in.
0: Yes,
1: but yes. self love is also about saying, Ah, uh-uh, no, wait a minute, what is going on here? Right, this this, <laughs> this is start and stop. <laughs> this is not so, working. <laughs> it's not working it's not working and, and, and self-love requires a lot of that right and requires a lot of speaking up about what doesn't work and what are your conditions of satisfaction and what can we do to transform and to change this situation so for me being in a relationship of self-love and I can speak profound more profoundly for myself has been about coming Coming into relationship with the sacred I am. Mm. And re-owning that. And saying, Mm. I actually am. I am here. I have permission to take ground. I have permission to take up space. I have permission Mm. to be in relationship with the reason for which I came. I am. And if you can just meditate on I am mm. and what to be an I am in the world, again, taking into cognizance that you are a product of the creator and as the creator is, so are you. When we walk in relationship with that, we don't do half of the nonsense we do in the world. <laughs> <laughs> we don't do it. We just don't do it. And again, I'm holding that image of, of all of us in this moment of madness in the world. If you were in relationship with, with an I am, you don't kill another. But because you don't have self-love and you don't understand what the I amness is, you can take life because you lost that relationship a long time ago. And that's the, so that me, self-love as, as very watery a concept as it sounds that coming into relationship with the I, I, the sacredness of the I Amness heals all of the world.
0: One of the things that is very very interesting to me about self love is it's it's this, this kind of power that comes with it. That if you're unaccustomed to power, at first it can cause you to totter a little bit. Because your point around, I am here, like really, I'm here. Yeah. And I can speak and I can take up space mm. and it's okay. And you don't have to like me. And you don't have to, n- n- there are no halves. There's a power that comes with that that I think. And I I say this because I think sometimes when you start to walk that journey, it's easy to fall back because you you get into this space of immense personal power, right? Mm -hmm. And sometimes if you're not used to that, you you kind of have to hang on (laughs) and steady because it's a beautiful thing. If you've been told your whole life that you're not this and you're not that and you start to do your work and you realize, I have a voice. And I have a dream, and I have a passion, and I have, and I can say, one of the reasons I do this show is because I believe in voice. You have to say it. You have to say it. If you don't say it, it's hard to imagine it and to believe it and to bring it into being. You have to say it. And so oftentimes, the way I check if I'm passionate about something or not, if I want to do something or not is... Can I actually say it? Not to anyone, to myself. Can I say I want to do X? If the words cannot come out, I'm going in the wrong direction. And I need to pause. So there's just something about that power that comes where you know who you are, light and shadow. And you can say, my best friend did this once. We've been best friends since I was 17. And she, last summer, we were at her bridal shower. and. Her baby, her bridal shower, not her baby shower. We're having this conversation, and in the middle of it, I don't know what we were talking about. She turned around and she said to me, "But you know, I'm really selfish, right?" And then she just moved on. (laughs) It it was very. I've never told her, but it was very instructive for me because it was a recognition that yes, I like to take up space, and that's okay. But knowing that means you can model around it right you can shape yourself and other people around it but it was so I should have told her I found that very powerful because in all the years we had been friends I never heard that right and so there was something about saying yeah I do I might be the loudest person in the room or the most flamboyant or whatever it's just that acknowledgement that yes this is this is me and I'm here and there's power in that yes and we're afraid of
1: power aren't we real power <laughs> not not abuse <laughs> not taking advantage of not bullying not dictating power just being in deep comfort with With the depth of my permission to be here, which then allows me to give you the, the permission to coexist with me. It, it mm. is it is a profound transition, right? When we when we are, because when we enable self, we enable others. Others, yes. It's a it's it's a different thing. It's not it's not power over, it's power with but I can't be in power with other people if I'm not in power with myself, in relationship yeah. with myself. And so it's, for me, the thing I lament the most is that our education system don't teach us this I amness when we're children, mm-hmm. right? So mm-hmm. if you were like me, I grew up with so much self-doubt, so much fear, so much anxiety, because nobody was explaining to me, what does it mean to be human? Why are we even here? What is this whole project about? You know, why are they, why does that, what is, why does there seem to be so much brokenness? There was no language for that. And I had to go on my own journey of finding those answers, which is also beautiful and profound, but why don't we create curricula around this? I mean, I certainly have, I do this in my work and I'll speak yeah. to anybody who will hear, <laughs> but, but yeah. they it feels to me that this should be in our education systems, this yeah. relationship with self-power, with I amness. Um, because again, we wouldn't create such an insecure world where abuses become possible if people were in relationship with the
0: I-ness. When well, you said that, you know what reminded me of, mm-hmm. and, and I'm not going to say her last name right, but Sissin Dangaremga's *Nervous Conditions*. That mm-hmm. book, everything yes. we've just talked about is captured in that title, *Nervous Conditions*. I must have read that book nine times, 10 times. I wrote a thesis on it in college and then again in law school because Mm -hmm. the way she talks about powerlessness, right, is in such such a visceral way, but it was the taking of power and the giving up of the power. It wasn't like you're just someone sitting here and something is happening to you. As we were talking, it just reminded me of Nervous Conditions, and I thought, that's that's it. We all have some nervous conditions going on right now. I love I
1: love the book Nervous Conditions too. I love 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 that book because you're absolutely right. I think it takes us back to the first conversation we have, which is about the dynamic mm-hmm. dynamics of exchange, right? And 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 yep. what. It, when we are co-creating and we accept the power that we are co-creating our realities, all of us, no matter, yeah. no matter the situation, no matter if we like it or hate it, we have all create co-created this moment. All of us. Beautiful. That, that humbles us, that grounds us. <laughs> when you can no longer blame, mm. that is a kind of power. When you can no longer mm. blame, that is a maturity into a relationship with the self that is most profound. When you can still blame, there's a journey yet to be walked.
0: Yeah, yeah. I want to be mindful of your time, Rachel. So yes. I will say one last thing, just ask your, your, your opinion on it. This idea of power and self-love and coming into your own, I've, I've sometimes wondered, what is it that people might be afraid of with coming into power, I've speculated, could it be, we're always told with great power comes great responsibility. Mm. And once you start on that personal journey, you know what that means. Mm. You really know what that means. And yes. I wonder if that cause people to kind of pause and take a step back, because in a way, mm. we like to search, but getting to your destination almost means you have to do something about it, right? If you're searching for your purpose, if you find it well you you have to then leave it and is the journey just more interesting a lot of people say it's not a destination it's the journey i'm like is it though or are we making excuses right Ah, i love that i love that i I agree with
1: you i i i um and by the way you don't have to be mindful of my time i'm with you i'm here with you (laughs) Thank you. Um, and you know what was coming to mind. I was trying to find it on my phone, but I can't find it. Paul, Paul Tillich has an incredible definition of power, but I cannot now find it. But it keeps coming. It's coming into my head for some reason, and I can't. Anyway, I, I yeah, I can't find it now. But but I agree with you. When we, we, we human beings are afraid to take responsibility. Um, so, for example when I looked at my childhood, I developed a tendency of that learned helplessness. And and it's funny because one of my most powerful ahas was realizing how much I had come to love victimhood. It was such a powerful thing, I didn't know who I was without it. And remember, because the shadow was manipulation, it was always coming into the room with, but well, don't you know that I had a difficult, this afternoon? And don't you, and I, mean, I wasn't saying it necessarily, although I said it sometimes, but, but really I just carried that energy with me. Oh, what a shame. Woe is me. Look at me. Look at me. And, and, I, and I realized my, one of my bigger has was, oh my God, you love this. You love this because why? it gives you an excuse to fail. It gives you an excuse to be mediocre so that when things go wrong, you can say, but, but, I'm, but things are so hard, but I'm a, but you know, my, my identity is so warped and, and by, but I experienced so many things that were so hard. And so is it, is it, is it, is it surprising that I'm doing all of those things? <laughs> mm. and, and I've come into deep relationship with the work of Adler. Um, The psychologist, Alfred Adler, who talks about the fact that when we keep going back to the wound, it is an excuse to not be in our life task. It is an excuse to not understand the value that all life experiences play in allowing you to be in your life task. So for me, I started to say, but what purpose do these wounds serve? If I just, again, like I said... I, and I've always, and, and this is for me, has become a mantra for me. The moment of the wounding is also the moment of the gifting. And once yeah. you start to ask yourself that question, so in that moment I was wounded, but what gift did I also receive? Because everything exists in dualities, yes. right? Everything is, exists in paradoxes. But we, we, want to be, we want to be selective. There's certain moments where we want to be like, you know, I really learned so many things from that. But then other things we just want to say, but I was just wounded. Yes, of course you were. Nobody's denying that. But in in that moment, what gift also came with it? When you come into relationship with that, there is your power. Because then you recognize again, wait a minute, everything is for a purpose. So for me, Mm. why I can do this work of healing and of being in relationship with people coming into their personal remembrance is because I went through so much shit <laughs> that, that allowed me moments of pause and reflection to be like, what is this really about? <laughs> and it's dynamic. And, and I'm not saying, by but the, people hear that they're saying I'm advocating you know, for children to go through stuff. That's not it, I'm saying That for as long as this earth is run by humans, (laughs) we will hurt each other, we will wound each other, because it is the nature of our brains to do that. It is the nature of our makeup to do that. Because how many times, A.B., have you wounded without even realizing you wounded? Yeah. This happens so often. You don't even realize you've wounded a person, but they walk away and they go, wow, this woman, right? But, But when we then come back and say, wait, okay, there was wounding, what was the lesson? What was the gift? What came with that? Then we walk into our own power because then we start to say, wait, okay, so actually there's no moment at which I lose power. Every single moment gifts me with something and I can use it. Then you no longer have excuses. So for me, coming into that, I started to say, I'm not a victim. And I'm I'm now actually rejecting this learned helplessness and i'm going to retrain myself i'm going to uncreate and create a new and that fundamentally changed my life yeah that fun because like i said many people wounded me without even realizing though without even intending to so are they ever going to come and say please forgive me for this no but they don't have to they don't have to because my my fullness my self-actualization is not dependent on them necessarily it is yes. dependent on my journey with, actually, I, I never lose agency. At no point does a person lose agency. I love reading Holocaust material. Elie Wiesel, Edith Egger, um, Knight, The Choice, Viktor Frankl's Man's Search for Meaning. And, you know, when you read these stories, even, by the way, some of the struggle heroes I've spoken to here on the continent, where people went through really difficult, life-threatening moments, and yet mm-hmm. still, that even within that they had choice. Even within that, you know, when when they talk about the fact that you have a gun held to your head, and even within that I had a choice. I am starving because somebody is starving me on purpose as part of a system, and even within that I had a choice. That is profound power. That is profound power. And if we remember that through all of these things we're going through in the world today. We recognize that even it's not even even, especially because of those moments. we are reminded of the power of our ability to create what we truly desire.:
0: Beautiful. I mean, that idea of choice, you know, we, we, we say this a lot. We want choices. do we? do we? Do we it's not like going, you know, we're going to the supermarket, we say we want choices. You go and you see seven different kinds of tupers, and you're like, can there just be one? So I don't have to make a choice, I just pick and leave. We say we want choices, but with choice and with power comes great responsibility because what you choose you will be held accountable for. Yes. And and I just sit with that and I say, Is this is this why we enjoy the journey more than the destination? Because when you get to the destination you're there what happens when you travel you, you pack your suitcase you get in the car or the plane or wherever you get there and you have to unpack after yes. you unpack then you have to show up in the new place yes, yes. it's easier to stay in the car it's easier to be on the plane because when you get there you have to get out and you have to show up and yes. that part that part
1: <laughs> i read some weeks ago something i so loved <clears throat> and I'm paraphrasing, that said, it is so much easier to criticize than to build.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So much easier to protest, to destroy, than to go about the business of building. Um, and I have I, always believed that there should be a moment of protest. There should be a moment of sort of saying, I just want you to know how angry I am. <laughs> but I say, I say, Give yourself two minutes to do that, then move to the process of building. Because I believe that the world the world will ultimately give room and permission to the most creative energy. And mm. so if you look mm. even at the emotions, anger actually has very low resonance. Yeah, it's not a very productive emotion. But when we move up to higher emotions, like creativity, then there's the power that we unleash in the world of just going about the business of building. So, so I, for example, as a choice, say I don't protest as a personal choice. I don't, I don't get involved in that kind of energy. What I do is go about the business of building. That's what I do. And that's what fundamentally changed my life. If there's something I don't like, I build something around it because then that building fills the vacuum. It fills the gap. Right? <laughs> I yeah. desire. That's what I, the toy, toying thing. Um, I, I, for me personally, I've made a choice. I'm a, by the way, for those who don't know toy, toying is a word we use that is used in South Africa for protesting, right. For marching in the streets, et cetera. And by the way, I believe, by the way, there's a role for that. There are activists whose work is to do that, to raise attention, to show that these are the values that that have been transgressed, and I respect that. For me personally, it's about building. Be aware, take a breath, and my choice is to say, if I don't, so if I, for example, I I have a big wound around diversity, and inclusion because of the way the messaging I was given and the journey that I had to walk, walk uh, that I had to work walk through and work through, and now I have created a workshop called the Biology of Bias, and I take it to whoever will listen, because I want, <laughs> to understand. because for me and I've done a lot of research right because I want to say but why do we even do this thing in the first place I'm a very I'm a roots person I like to go to the root of things I don't want to deal with just the symptom I want to deal with the root. And I started to learn, okay, so there, there is a our brain has a pattern-making, a pattern-making responsibility to keep us safe. That's what the brain has been doing since time immemorial. That's why we are here. Mm-hmm. Yes. quick judgments and says this is too different from me, five, flight, freeze, four feet, feet, fornicate, whatever it is that you're going to do in that moment, right? That's what the brain does. Now, when it does that, what are the mechanisms to bring it back? What are the mechanisms? And so don't be in shame because by the way, this is another thing about, about a lack of self-love is that we have a society that is in shame. When you're in shame, it is hard to reverse action.
0: Ooh, that, that's how you
1: Right. If you're in a moment <laughs> where you're about to do something very problematic and then you get <laughs> into shame that by the way, that's based, that's based in bias and then because we're talking about bias now and you, and you go into shame about it, you then can't be in relationship with reversing that thing and making yeah. a difference. Because what does shame mean? Shame says I've broken a public standard and I deserve to be punished. And if I'm not being punished, I will self-punish. So what does that mean? It means I keep repeating the behavior. That's the self-punishment. I say to myself, oh, I'm doing it again. Um, Oh, I'm a horrible person. Okay, well, might as well follow through with being a horrible person. That's what shame does. Whereas with self-love, you go, oh, darkness, my old friend. There you are again. I recognize you. I recognize this little niggling of this desire to be racist. I recognize this niggling to be classist. I recognize this niggling to, to be in judgment of somebody who's not like me. I see you with a smile, but I'm not going to listen. Literally that's how the brain reverses, is Mm. when you recognize the pattern and then you say, you literally just make a choice. Take a pause, 10 seconds. It can make a world of a difference,
0: right? But that cannot happen when we're in shame. I feel like, I'm hoping you'll come back to the show anyway, but we need to talk about shame when you do, because I have thought about, I, I talk a lot about empowerment and most of the talks I give are around that and around fear. And I keep coming back to the greatest enemy of, for me to personal progress and empowerment is shame because shame blinds you. It just, it, 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 when you're ashamed, you're so involved in self, you cannot see. And the self you're involved in is the bad self. So you cannot see that which is good about you. Or even when people are reaching out with the helping hand, shame is so paralyzing. So we need to have a whole other conversation another time about shame. <laughs> because cracking does <that laughs> not, <laughs> and I we uh, as women, we're taught so much to be ashamed of, right? I always say, I, always say I went to an all girls Catholic boarding school. In Cameroon, and well meaning nuns would tell us, ladies are seen and not heard, right? So, for five years, that's what I learned ladies are seen and not heard. So, if you had a voice and you had something to say, they were shaming that because you're not a lady and you want to be a lady, right? This is what you are groomed to be. So, the people not talking to each other, not actually expressing real deep pain. I'm in pain. I cannot ask for help because there is shame in that. So that I'm, I'm not, I'm not even going to go there because that's a whole other <laughs> segment, but thank you for mentioning it. Wow. Uh, this was wonderful. Uh, such an education. And honestly it's giving me pause because I was angry and just in looking at what's happening and looking at, and I have to, to, to put my anger in some context. So I'm an employment lawyer by background. So in all of this, one of the questions I ask myself is, I spent 10 years as an employment lawyer, right? My job was to help companies like mine right now to ensure that they are, we, we eliminate inequities in the system. So when this whole thing was happening, I just kept thinking, so what is the point of the work that I did and that people like me do? What is the point of it, right? Because things almost fly in the face of that work. And so I had a moment of, okay, I have brothers in the US, right? My son is American. Someday we might go back home. All these Mm. things just running through your mind, right? and I just thought there's a lot to be angry about and I've talked about it with friends and I could get it out of my system but at the back of my head kept kicking that that whole reminder righteous anger can be dangerous and so you have to kind of wall it off a bit and find a healthy way to get it out so this was the healthy way to get it out and I thank you so much for being available. <laughs> this is supposed to be for the show, but I feel like I've had a good personnel session going here. <laughs>
1: oh, I've so loved this conversation. Oh, yeah. likewise. What a profound connection, a profound moment of just reflection. Thank mm. you. I'm wonderful.
0: No, thank you. And it is, it is. You know, I always say the universe works in interesting ways. It is no accident that I had thought about this series for June. And people kept telling me, but June is not the love month. Like, that's February. And I said, no, I want to do a love series in June. And lo and behold, there's a lot of love that we need to be talking about from this point on. Absolutely. I think we've talked about death and destruction enough for the last six months. I think we need to change the title I a little bit. I know. Synchro
1: yeah. destiny. Isn't it amazing? Isn't it amazing? Yeah. yeah. It was, yeah. was the right moment for this conversation. Incredible. Absolutely. Thank so thank you for heeding to, to that. Isn't it amazing?
0: Yeah. Yeah. And thank you. And I will remember the ABCs because I think that's something that it's simple enough to remember, right? Harder to do, but the beginning is remembering it. Just remembering to be aware, pause and take a breath and make a different choice. A all different right. Choice. Imagine the world would <laughs> if we all made a different choice. <laughs> Rachel, it has been delightful and empowering and freeing and that whole thing. So thank you so much. And I hope you come back to visit us at Mama Talk Talk. <laughs> I hope so. Thank you so much, A B. Beautiful conversation. Like, I we stay well. You too. you too. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Please share your thoughts in the comments below or email us at ab at Continue the conversation in your homes and communities. And when you join us next week, invite a friend or many. For more diverse perspectives on everyday issues from everyday people around the globe, subscribe to our podcast at mamatoktot.com forward slash a different take and join our online family by following us on twitter and instagram until we meet again i'm your host ab mambo sigashina stay well